here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rap Fantasy Football Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Here for episode number two. We've made it two weeks in a row where we have not let life bog us down and and not record. I wasn't sure if we'd even make it to two. So it's a good thing that uh, we're both still here. Fantasy football is life. (laughs) (laughs) We make time. Yes, it still bogs you down. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So how was your week, man? What have you been up to? Oh, yeah. Working, counting the minutes till a little vacation. And, uh, you know, August just started. So basically... You know, we're about a month from our draft and there'll be, you know, another couple showing up that, you know, need to be prepared for. And that's, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, we uh, we definitely have a lot to discuss still. I feel like, you know, our, our sort of plan going into this you know, was to do an episode a week. And I feel like there's so much that we're, we're not going to really get to dive into that I look at and listen to and read on a daily basis but you know this is we have to remember that this podcast is just a piece of information for other people uh whoever happens to listen but it's not obviously we can't cover a hundred percent of what goes on in the the fantasy football community or in the football community period in in a 40 minutes or 50 minutes or however long these things end up being it's just not possible so so we'll do our best to give you our takes on some of these guys we we uh we have some different takes on the ones the guys that we're going to talk about today you know hopefully we'll we'll get into a a little good old-fashioned debate kind of see where uh where both of us lie on some of these players these running backs and and find out, you know, why we we feel the way that we feel. Go from there. Absolutely. Um, again, it's right now in training camp. You're already seeing guys going down. The actual position players that you would pick for your team, but uh, you know, you see some injuries to offensive line, which is it doesn't get picked. It, it's not part of the point system by any stretch, but it's got such an impact on what goes on. You know, for your players to be successful, you need to have. The front five, they have to be on the level. They have to be healthy. They have to know their assignments. You have some rookies coming into play, but again, it's training camp. It's just injuries. I mean, to see Cam Akers go down right away ruined a lot of people who had him keeper league, uh, people that had him as a, a marked man in their draft that maybe people thought would fly under the radar. Yeah, this is what happens every season. This is why we are not forced to declare our keepers in our league until the day of the draft because we've had instances in the past where we've declared keepers and then literally like the next preseason game a guy goes down and he's gone for the season and one of the players that that were being kept in the league so kind of screws you over even when you're not getting hit there's still you know you're making a lot of fast hard cuts and blocks and it lends itself to injury and and that's unfortunately part of the game but it is what it is and when it comes to fantasy we we sort of move on and and move forward and kind of take it the way nfl teams do where it's kind of a next man up mentality for us it sucks to see uh you know a young guy like cam Akers have such a terrible injury when he was sort of what i thought anyway was primed to really take off and be a, a top 12 running back this year and to see him go down and is likely going to miss the entire season 
Yeah. I just feel bad for him, honestly. Like, you know, as bad as it hurt my fantasy team, I feel bad for him. He's, like I said, a young guy, I think 23 years old, 22 years old. And sure, man. I mean, and like you say, it's, it just stinks for everybody. People that had him in fantasy and get him as a pro, like an Achilles isn't a small injury to come back from uh, by any stretch. Sometimes, you know, you're going to lose a step and he was not a speed back as much as power, you know, uh, and had a good amount of speed and, and just seemed to really be coming into his own at the end of the season, separating from the rest of the pack where they had a couple running backs there. Daryl Henderson's obviously going to get a big bump up, even if he doesn't perform to the level that we thought Akers would being in that offense. And again, you got Stafford now a quarterback who's light years better than, than what you had there before. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the dynamics of everything. And and again, he's a guy on your radar to come back in theory for 2022. You would hope that he turns into a guy who can get over that hump. We're all praying for him and just hope he gets healthy, let alone back to you know what, what you thought he was going to be for for this season for the NFL. So what do you say you want to you want to dive into these uh running back discussions and get this thing rolling? Yeah, yeah, we can uh we can start in the kiddie pool and and work our way out to the deep end. Absolutely. <laughs> um where do you want to go first? Let's start with JK Dobbins. So yeah. you have him ranked uh as your 13th running back and I have him yeah. ranked number 21, which puts him right about running back 13 on our consensus, which is where you have him. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm interested to see how much changes uh, for that team as a whole. I mean, he wasn't the guy they had in the beginning, but you, you lost Mark Ingram from Baltimore, and there are some carries to go around, and some people feel like uh, a Justice Hill, who was a highly touted guy there for a year or so, might just jump right in and get the carries. But you look at Baltimore, and last year they ran the ball, counting Lamar Jackson, they ran the ball 555 times. So there's a lot of carries to go around. I mean, he had 134 of them last year, and Dobbins. He was top 25. He's number 24, uh, depending on how you score things in, in PPR leagues and whatnot. But he 134 carries, 805 yards. He had nine touchdowns. He averaged six yards a carry. And that's a team that is just them, uh, the Baltimore Ravens and, and Pittsburgh, that still utilize the ground game to establish dominance. And, and that whole division is still fun to watch. He didn't have a ton of them, but he was 18 for 24 in receptions uh, based on targets. So he caught 75% of the balls that went his way. He averaged six yards a carry. He had nine touchdowns. Obviously, the running game on that team does go through the quarterback. Now, at the same time, they still make it a point to control the clock. And to see him come out and establish himself as the best guy out of the three, you still have the Gus bus. Uh, he is still legit Gus Edwards as far as, you know, a, a solid backup. He's a great Robin to a Batman, and he gets the same kind of yardage. He's underappreciated. And as a handcuff, he's also a guy that can win you some weeks based on just his production when they just decide to give him a ball as a hot hand. But to me, J.K. Dobbins getting to that next level, gaining the carries that were lost. I mean, Mark Ingram carried 72 times. Even if he gets half of them based on his average, I see the yardage going up. He's going to be a thousand yard back with, if you mix in the concepts of what Lamar Jackson brings to the table, where they may try to get him to being more comfortable passing. I just see him as being 
moving on up uh, in that sense with a lot of change of running back this year. He strikes me as being that guy. So I, I agree with a lot of the points that you're making. I guess the, the downside for me is more the fact that those guys didn't have a lot of carries last year. Like you said, Dobbins had uh, 134 carries. Believe it or not, Gus Edwards actually had 144 carries, um, yeah. which was eye-opening to me when I was doing research on on this whole you know what we're doing for this episode now Dobbins did miss a game due to injury which which Edwards had a few carries that game but I feel like I don't know maybe I was just disappointed in Dobbins everybody sort of talked him up last year and everyone was sort of expecting last year to be his breakout year and yeah. not that a 20 you know like I said a 24th overall finish is bad that I mean he's still a top you know, he's still a running back two, basically, you know, finishing in the top 24. I think I just expected more. And it sounds like from where you have him ranked, it sounds like you're expecting more from him again this year. And I do believe. Yeah, that. no, big time. I, I, and I know what you mean. Yeah, we're, we're Edwards. He was the veteran. So, you know, this this kid was a rookie last year. And yeah, he came in highly touted, but they're going to make you earn it. John Harbaugh is a coach that is you know in the everybody loves to say it he's old school but the way that he carries it is you know you have to earn it and if you look at through the season he was given minimal carries to start the year i mean his first four games looking at it he had seven carries two carries one carry and five carries so right off the bat you know they're just kind of weaning him in making sure he knows the playbook don't smell yourself make sure you get hot when you need to be and and just know your role uh, you had, again, you had Mark Ingram on that team who was a well-established running back. You had Gus Edwards, who has, again, been underappreciated for a long time and ironically, yes, had more carries. But then by week seven, uh, the first game against Pittsburgh, as a matter of fact, he had 15 carries for 113 yards. It just shows that they had trust in him. And then from then on, he had uh, a New England game where he had uh, single-digit carries. He missed the second game because he was on the COVID list. And see the way he produced on the back end of the season when they fed him more and more and more and knew he was the guy. I, I could see him totally being a top 15 running back this year, w without a doubt. And, and Gus maybe taking a second fiddle or an injury. Uh, he's going to be that guy. I, I definitely have him ranked lower, I think, only because I like a lot of other running backs a little bit better but you're right when, when if you look at the last six games of the season he finished as a top 24 back all six of those games and now to his credit he scored a touchdown in all six of those games at least one touchdown in all six of those games so that definitely lends itself to you know finishing a little bit higher when you when you score everybody was talking about cam Akers, you know sort of ramping up at the end of the season yeah and jk yeah. dobbins was that guy who uh, yeah, they were two that were almost thing. linked as, as that kind of same running back. Yeah. Maybe I do need to move Dobbins up in my rankings a little bit. I did not realize he was so strong down the stretch last season. At the end of the day, I'm I'm really high on him. I mean, I'm not I'm not maybe going first round in a in a redraft, but on our level where we do keeper leagues, uh, yeah, he's definitely on my radar. All right, so the next running back we want to talk about is Miles Sanders. We have him ranked 21st. Is in our consensus rank, I have him at 16. You have him at 27. I think Miles Sanders is interesting because I feel like a lot of people are disappointed with him because of where he was drafted last year and sort of, you know, what he gave fantasy owners being drafted at, you know, 
first, second round. I think usually he, I think he was going in the second round last year. He still finished as a running back too. Uh, he finished 22nd overall. And if you don't, you know, he was injured obviously for, or, or out for four games last year. So if you look at the, the points per game, he actually finished as the running back 19 on a points per game basis. So he actually wasn't as bad as a lot of people, I guess, are, are remembering him to be. I think he disappointed based off of where he was being drafted last year. Again, that doesn't necessarily bode well for my ranking of 16, but I think the Eagles tried to motivate Sanders in the offseason by drafting Kenny Gainwell, by bringing in Kerryon Johnson and Jordan Howard. I think that that was now obviously all of those guys are not going to make the team most you know most NFL teams carry you know four running backs is is about the norm depending yeah. on you know which guys play on special teams and and which guys don't but I feel like all of these bodies were brought in during the offseason to sort of motivate Sanders to kind of let him know like hey you know we we want a little bit more out of you he finished as a top 24 running back uh, almost 60% of the time last year. So for the 12 games that he played, I think seven of those games, he actually finished as a top 24 running back, which isn't, you know, it's not terrible. It's not, uh, it's not losing you, uh, you know, weeks. It's not necessarily winning you weeks either, but uh, he did have some good weeks where he finished, you know, in the top five. So the skill, the talent is still there. You know, he didn't kill you last year. He only finished outside of that RB3 range 17% of the time. So it was basically two games, two pretty tough opponents. I feel like he disappointed by default last year. I don't think that he's, I still think he's a super talented guy. I think that, you know, and and I'm not saying this because I'm an Eagles fan, because trust me, uh, you're, you'll hear my takes later on and in some of the later podcasts i am not high on every eagles player but sanders is he's got the talent i believe he's going to have the opportunity at least in the beginning of the season and the eagles i mean he could really take advantage of the the schedule the first few weeks of the season i mean the eagles open up against atlanta week one and their defense is nothing great and i don't feel like that's any that's not a defense that's going to you know hold miles sanders down you know week two against the niners yeah their defense is pretty solid that that might be a tough game for them but uh then they got the cowboys the chiefs and the panthers in the next three so i think if sanders can sort of come out of the gate strong and and show the coaching staff that he you know is their stud their their running back take the lead in that timeshare that you know the eagles coaching staff always seems to want to run i I feel like he's going to have an opportunity to at least show what he has and what he can do and if he holds on to that i feel like taking him you know third fourth round where he's going i don't think that's a bad pick this is uh like you say we we differ rather legitimately you know we're about 11 spots away i'm closer to 30 you're closer to 15. the talent is there you see a lot of again you use a, a baseball analogy to uh to talk about football but you know he has been and continues to be a home run hitter uh he had the 82 yard touchdown last year but that accounted again for almost 10 percent of his yardage <laughs> on one play um you look at what he's been coming out of college you know a lot of people were high on him coming out of penn state coming out behind saquon and saying how you know he was 
not that back, but he was maybe more dimensional or a smaller version or, or comparable to him. So of course, everybody's going to take that into effect. His rookie season, he impressed. Absolutely. He looked to be everything you thought you were getting and more. You haven't had a multi-dimensional back like that since you want to say like a, a Deuce Staley. Mind you, he was part of a three-headed monster at times, but somebody who could run the football with conviction and somebody who could receive the football. And to me, that's the part that fell off a cliff as did the Eagles offense in 2020. But I'm looking at a guy who his rookie season, if you really look at the numbers, he caught 50 out of 63 balls, 79%. You round that up, you call it 80. Dropped three and fumbled twice. But he averaged 10 yards of reception. And again, that was an Eagles team under Doug Peterson that used wheel routes and dump offs and things of that nature that made your running back so effective, so important because that guy was going to you know, again, not even be a safety valve, but somebody who was going to basically be a receiver out of the backfield. Somebody was going to be a dual threat guy. He caught three touchdowns. I mean, he 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 got you 19 first downs. Like he, his, his, his rookie numbers really looked like he was going to get to that level because he was a dual threat back. And in Philly, they don't really use the running back much as far as a running game. So the fact that he got the numbers he did for running the ball, I mean, he had 1,300 yards from scrimmage. Now, his numbers didn't lack that much, talking about 2020, but the things that scared me, you know, the offensive line falling apart and injuries, uh, wide receivers were green, couldn't play, Carson Wentz fell off a cliff, but to see him personally, like his catch rate dropped big time. He went 28 for 52. So he dropped almost 25% of his catch rate. He had accounted for three drops. It went to seven. He had four fumbles. His hands were an issue. You know, some people feel like that was just based on the quarterback play. Well, yep. Uh, and down the stretch with Hertz, he was nine out of 13 as far as like receptions based on attempts. That to me is is still an outlier. Like I'm wondering why did his hands get so bad so quick? And now I also look at a different offense. You have a different coaching staff that is going to be new to him. The Colts ran the ball. If you look at it from an offensive coordinator standpoint, they ran 459 times. They passed to running backs 130 times. So it could be beneficial to him maybe with the new offense and get him involved in the passing game and get him back to his numbers from 2019. Then maybe we're talking different. Absolutely, he's third number one running back. But is he going to get the catches out of the backfield? Not rooting against him. And, and I hope that he gets back to that level of a top 10 running back where he was teetering on the brink in 2019. But again, until he can show me, I'm not going to put the pick out and I'll take Dobbins all day. I like the safe ground. Mind you too, uh, I'm not used to first round picks, but <laughs> you know that's just me. <laughs> well, good, because you don't have to spend one on either of those guys. So you should be okay. The next running back that we are going to talk about is DeAndre Swift. We have him ranked 24th in our consensus ranking. I have him ranked 17th. Rudy, you have him ranked 29th. Why do yeah. you hate DeAndre Swift? No, I'm just kidding. So last year he finished running back uh, 18, started off the season fairly slow as most rookies do, but sort of picked it up as the season went on same trajectory as J.K. Dobbins in the fact that, you know, again, started slow, 
uh, finished really strong from week four on. He only had two finishes outside of the top 18. So he was a top 18 back every yeah. week from week four on, except for the game against Indianapolis where they got beat up pretty good and he only had six rushing attempts. We know that Indy's defense last year was pretty outstanding. So that was, of course, going to be a tough game for him. And then week 16 versus Tampa Bay, when their defense started stepping up. And I think in that game, they just got blown out so bad that they just didn't have, they couldn't run the ball. They, they really didn't have the opportunity to run because they got down so big, so fast. Yeah. So for me, I think it's going to be a lot of that this year too. That's the problem. You may be right about that. That They don't look like they're going to be a very good team on paper. Uh, you never know how the NFL goes. A lot of times teams don't look very good and then all of a sudden end up winning eight or nine games. I, I don't believe that that's going to be the case for the Lions. You know, he wasn't part of the problem. They drafted him high. He was, you know, an early second round pick in 2020. I think that the Lions knew when they drafted him that, you know, he was kind of going to be the guy that they sort of built their offense around last year. Tons of carries for a rookie, 171. He ended the year with 10 total touchdowns. And the big thing that I don't think I realized earlier in the year uh, when, when I was actually ranking him was how involved he was in the passing game. And Matthew Stafford is one of those quarterbacks who finds the open guy. And if Swift was, yeah, you know, Matthew Stafford's team underrated. Absolutely. But I mean, if Goff, who also targets running backs a, a considerable amount, targets Swift as much as Matthew Stafford did. Last year, Swift had 46 receptions on 57 targets which was good for 81% uh, reception rate. The guy can obviously run the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think my only concern with him is Detroit's you know, lack of ability to score the football. But, I mean, I think the, the touchdowns that they do have, Swift is one of the guys on the team that is going to have to make that happen. We, we talked a little bit before the podcast about the receiving options in Detroit and Obviously, the downgrade at quarterback, which you had mentioned earlier when we, we were talking about Cam Akers. Golf definitely is not Matthew Stafford. He, I don't think he ever will be. but Not on his best day, no. He's also not terrible. I mean, he's a he's a serviceable NFL quarterback. And I yeah, think he's that, a game manager. Right. And I think that part of game managing is trying to pick up first downs, which involves a lot of dump-off passes to the running back in, in a lot of instances. And I think that Swift could for sure benefit from uh, the lack of other weapons on this team. I guess my argument for Swift is very similar to my argument for Sanders. Um, strangely enough, I have them ranked back-to-back, -back, is that I feel like he's going to have to be the guy in order for Detroit to be competitive in games. I feel like they're going to have to force-feed him and Jamal Williams, uh, who they picked up in the offseason. They're going to have yeah. to force feed those guys the ball, play low scoring, grind it out, clock management games, which I guess they got the perfect quarterback for that. But uh, <laughs> I feel like he's going to make that jump as far as the number of carries that he's going to see this year last year only had 114 and still finished as the running back 18 which is which is kind of crazy to me i feel like you could easily he could easily double that this year and end up in the 200 to 220 range in carries and i think if he does that 
I don't think there's any way that he finishes worse than running back 18. Um, so me having him ranked at 17 to me feels like he's slotted in a pretty pretty safe spot where I'm not going to I'm not going to undersell him too much, but I don't think 17 is overselling him too much either. I don't disagree a lot with what you're saying. I, I can see looking at his numbers, and again, I wasn't a big Detroit Lions fan studying their numbers or, or watching games or, or again the fact that I didn't have Swift knowing he was highly touted coming out of school he did miss three games uh, in the middle of the season it looks like with a little bit of an injury again he's only 21 years old actually 22 now so to me it's a little worrisome that this whole offense just looks to be interesting not in a good way you have jared goff the mannequin as your quarterback is he going to lean on a position you want to look at him and say okay what did he do in la that was effective you know he spread the ball but you had a dynamic offense that was totally different to what you have here your wide receiving core is all rebuilt swift is one of the few players that you carried over but now you have a different coaching staff enter jamal williams who has always been a guy in green bay that could i guess to say handle the load when given to him he's got playoff experience he's a little bit older he's a little more physical to me he is a guy that you are probably looking to split carries with but i feel like at the same time you're going to maybe lean on him a little bit more because of his veteran presence and again this coach sounds to be a little bit more physical of a coach you know he's talking about biting off people's kneecaps so it's going to be hard to tell i don't feel that swift is a horrible running back but seeing him miss the bulk of time he did was a little bit of a you know a little bit of a downer for me and again they get somebody in there who can be a little bit more physical now he did finish the season with decent numbers as far as carries go but to look at him all year he had one game where he ran and gained uh, over 100 yards the receiving stats are the ones I think that would turn him into that dual threat, that dynamic running back where, again, he's catching at an 80% rate. You would think you're just going to feed him and just run the offense out of him. Maybe that's their plan. And hearing a coach talking of physicality sounds almost like a between the tackles kind of guy. This is not the running back for that. I'm not hating on DeAndre Swift by any stretch. I, I think that if he does what he needs to do, is healthy, number one, is as effective as he was for the majority of the season and, and is able to do both the rushing and receiving that he did. And Jamal Williams maybe isn't as much of a play where they're closing in on a even a 60-40 split, I think would hurt. Looking at Jamal Williams' numbers from last year, he actually ended the year with more carries than DeAndre Swift. He had 119. And <clears throat> didn't really do a whole lot with him. Now, I know that he was playing for a different team last year, but the fact that he was in Green Bay on an offense that was the number one scoring offense in the league last year and still couldn't muster more than 111 nah, he would change fantasy points. Right, right. Yeah, he's not the main guy. And I don't think he's going to be the main guy this year. And I think that's sort of why I have Swift ranked where I do, because I feel like Swift has at least with his team, maybe not the coaching staff, but with the team has earned the right to be the starter and earn the, the lion's share of the carries in Detroit. I don't think that, I think Jamal Williams sort of keeps 
the role that he had in Green Bay in Detroit and sort of just is the spell guy, the, you know, Swift needs a breather because well, DeAndre I Swift mean, has proven that he can he can run the ball effectively and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So to me, I don't see how there's any way he finishes, you know, barring injury, obviously finishes any lower than, say, running back 20. Like you look at Jamal Williams just from last year, averaged 4.24 carry Swift. 4.57 a carry. So it's not epic, but you know, you're talking maybe an extra 15, 20 yards a game. Uh, Swift averaged 7.76 a reception. Uh, Jamal Williams, 7.61. Again, he's he's not the same player, not at the same speed, but he's comparable enough where they felt they wanted to get him away from a division opponent, but also maybe utilize him. And, and again, they, if they have a plan for him, that's to me a little scary for the guy that's there because it's almost as if they drafted him like he's my guy. So you got to prove yourself. That's what worries me for Swift is that if, again, push comes to shove, not saying he's going to lose number one status in camp barring something crazy happening, but you could see maybe Williams a little maybe over involved. The thing that keeps me at 17 for him is just the fact that I think Jamal Williams, what he takes away is what drops Swift from being a potential top 12 back to being more of a, you know, second tier still in, in that top 24 in that running back two territory. But you don't have Stafford throwing to him anymore. You have Goff, who that, again, had, and the offense had, is going to be worse. There's, there's no doubt yeah, about that. The offense scares me for sure. I still like Swift as a as a talent. All right, we'll move on to Zach Moss. I feel like we beat DeAndre Swift into the ground there. Yeah, Zach Moss. You know, what he did compared to Devin Singletary, who is the number one running back, quote unquote, on that team. You, you really want to maybe take a look at some of the stats that they had that are comparable and, and the way that Moss kind of finished the year up until the point where he got hurt. He's a... Pretty good running back. The way that team ran their offense last year, he was a big inside the 20 threat, and they get there a lot. You will have uh, probably a similar concept on offense. They're still going to look to maybe establish a little bit with uh, a power game. To me, watching what Zach Moss was able to do last year with a limited sample size, you know, again, not being the number one guy, but when you look at him compared to what Devin Singletary did. You know, Devin Singletary, yes, last year he did play all 16 games and he accounted for a pretty solid amount of the offense. But to see what Zach Moss put up throughout where uh, when he was given his smaller opportunities, he still basically was almost the same running back at times, if not better than Singletary, where he just seemed like he had a little bit more of a nose for the end zone. Again, getting six on the board to me is a big deal. And you can even say, okay, well, yeah, Moss seems a little more physical. He was used a lot uh, inside the 20-yard line. Only 14 receptions for Zach Moss. He was used a lot more as a running back, as a lot more physical, but he ended up with the touchdown. He's a guy who, you know, with the way their offense runs, he, he could end up with 11, 12 touchdowns and, and get you near the top 20. I think Zach Moss is going to be the number one running back there. I think that athletically, physically, he's just superior to a Singletary 
I think that, you know, him sort of being a rookie last year, I, I don't think that they gave him the amount of carries that he's going to see this year. I 100% agree with that. What I don't necessarily agree with is the fact that I don't think Buffalo is going to change what they do. They were one of the top passing offenses in the league. Now, if Josh Allen regresses and becomes the Josh Allen of 2019, it's possible that they will have to run the ball more, but they got to the AFC championship game playing the style of football that they played. And I don't think, I mean, I'm of the mindset that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't think that they're going to just all of the sudden want to run the ball more. Now in the AFC championship, I do think that they needed to run the ball a little bit more in that game. If you remember that game, they got out to uh, a lead. They kept throwing the ball and that sort of gave Kansas City the ability to stop the clock with incomplete passes. And I think that had Buffalo been able to rely on their running backs a little bit more uh, in that game, they, they could have yeah, going and Moss to, was out. As a matter of fact, yeah, he was out for a season-ending injury. Yeah, right. And and I don't think that matters. Um, I don't. I don't think that they didn't run the ball because Moss was out. I think that their mo was just to pass the ball, and that's who they were, and that's how they won games. But I think the biggest detraction for me, and the reason I have Moss ranked at thirty-six, is because even with the increased work, I don't see more touchdowns necessarily coming just based off of the, like the law of averages. I think that the way Buffalo plays, they want to throw the ball and they know that they have a quarterback who, when they get into the red zone, can throw the ball if someone's open. And if someone isn't open, Josh Allen can just take off with it and oh, sort yeah. of no, do his thing. Big part of it. You know, we talked a little bit before the, the podcast about Saquon Barkley and talking about that now. That's a guy who is coming off of a major injury who's transitioned to Saquon. I, I, I'm a little skeptical. Again, I have him a little bit lower on my end. And again, that's based on the timing of things, possibly more than anything. Uh, you have him still as a top 10 back. You have him at seven. I have him at 15 uh, with a consensus pick of 11. To me, right now, he's on the pup list. For some of these guys, it, it's a matter of feeling the way you did before you got hurt. You know, you look at Saquon Barkley rookie season, and he was all world. He had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. There wasn't much that made you think that this guy wasn't going to be the next superstar. You know, 1,300 yards rushing. He had seven over 700 yards receiving, 15 total touchdowns. He was the next big star. Next season, he misses a couple games. You did see some things fall back to earth. Different things happen. You had quarterback changes. You had offensive changes, coaching, the whole nine yards. That's going to maybe put him in a different spot. In his rookie season, he was targeted 121 times, and he caught 91 balls. So You see wide receivers uh, that don't get that many targets. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. The workload the, that this guy put in, he was basically targeted slash ran 382. Like that... That's a lot for a kid. You see the regression, you see a couple games missed and all his numbers were down and then boom. Yeah, you have the knee injury, which just killed it and ruined his whole season. He was done. Right now he's on the pup list. They're not comfortable with him taking contact. He's maybe not comfortable. It's going to be interesting to see even if he's 
75% of himself. It's going to be hard to see him get back to a top 10 running back without Cam. To me right now, I'll put him at 15 until there's no more red flags and, and until I can see he's Saquon-ish. Right. So we're doing these podcasts, you know, early, not early, but in this August 2nd that we're recording this, you probably won't come out for a few weeks, but I can understand you, you kind of hedging with Saquon 15 might be a little low to me personally, just because I think Saquon's talent is so far superior to a lot of the other running backs who are in that range that, that we have ranked between 10 and, and 20, let's say that I don't think I could ever realistically put him any lower than 10 because he just has the potential. Barkley to me is one of those guys that I maybe don't necessarily want to draft, but as soon as the Barkley owner gets kind of sick of Barkley only getting, you know, eight to 10 carries a game and and two or three targets, he's a guy that I'll be looking to trade for, for the end of the season, because I feel like by the end of the season, maybe he won't finish at seven overall. But to me, he's one of those guys who at the end of the season, if he's back into that, 2019 Saquon. He's a guy who could potentially win you a league with some of the numbers that yeah, he can put up. Be so, around like, be around like. Yeah. So I, I can see, I can see dropping him in drafts. Absolutely. As far as overall finish, these rankings for me are draft only rankings. These are not the where I think guys are going to finish on the season. So I'm not saying that by having him ranked at seven that I think he's going to finish at seven. I just think that for me, there's a point in the draft where it just becomes too difficult to pass on someone with his talent. And I've seen him fall into the second round. For me, it'd be really, really tough to pass on a guy, especially in leagues that we play in, you know, which are keeper leagues and things of that that nature for for Barkley being as young as he is and, you know, in a keeper league, being able to have him for a few years, it just, there's no way that I could pass on him. So I have him ranked seventh based on my draft rankings. I feel like they just don't feel comfortable with him and that he may not feel comfortable with himself. They're not going to be in a hurry to get him back out there. Uh, They, you know, they started out three and one, four and one, something like that. And he hasn't played yet or he's been minimal. Yeah. They're going to, probably look to increase him as long as physically he can handle it. But even with the extra week added on, he's not going to be in a hurry to come back. He's going to take his time. And I think training camp will probably dictate most of that. There's a lot of red flags there with the knee injury. And it was again, it was multiple tears. It's a matter of what he feels like. Yeah, he's definitely going to be driving the boat as far as when he comes back, when he feels fully healthy, as far as the Giants rushing him back. I don't think that that's even an option. I think that mm-hmm. they realize that he is their franchise. Yeah, he I don't might even want time. to say running back. He's 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 the guy on their offense until he shows he can play. He hasn't played yet, and it's preseason and it's early. Uh, again, he comes out in you know the third week of preseason, or or he's ready to go week one. They say, okay. I was wrong. Uh, he could finish a top 10. Absolutely. I, I feel like top 15 for me is safe. We're going to take the next couple in tandem because looking at the rankings, where we differ tends to be a little bit more on the side of, I think, who we both believe is going to 
get more work in each offense. So the next group, I guess the next two guys that we're going to talk about are James Robinson and Travis Etienne. You have Robinson ranked at 23, while I have him at 35. I have Etienne at 30. You have him at 43. Why don't you go ahead and make the case for James Robinson? It's kind of putting it on a tee here for you. Go ahead and make the case for Robinson. I mean, this guy made his own case last year. You're talking about somebody who, when they talked about running backs in Jacksonville, and there were, it was a two man race. It was Devin Oingo Boingo. I was a big way. <laughs> I forget his name off the top of my head. And it was James Robinson, who I believe was an undrafted free agent. And the coaching staff loved them. Guy played 14 games. Again, mind you, he, he came out of nowhere. He, he came off the bus stop and ran for over a thousand yards. He had seven touchdowns. He accounted for so much of their offense. He caught, he, you, you look for dual threat guys and you say, okay, he finished number seven overall last year as an undrafted free agent. And he had 82% catch rate, caught three touchdowns. He was their offense the, every single week. It was this guy getting you a hundred yards. It was this guy getting you stats. It was this guy pushing you uh, for a lot of you out there, probably got you a title. You go back and look, you have four 100-yard games. He played on a, a losing team. They were 1-15 last year. You know, the, yes, they went out and drafted this team that they have now and the quarterback that everybody coveted. And then when they got down to, I believe it was the 28th pick, if not, 25th, 25th. 25th. Yeah, they traded uh, up for the 25th pick. And get uh, Travis at the end, uh, we will debate. I have a little bit of a French background. But yes, we talk about Travis Etienne. And, uh, you know, you drafted him and he was a bell cow out of Clemson. And you figure, okay, you're going to pair him up and hope for the best. They also have to see that this guy put up the numbers he did. But to see what he was able to do on a terrible team with a terrible offensive line and no offense and be the focal point of it and put up the numbers that he did with you know, just having that fight in him, I would take him any day of the week. I do feel like his numbers are going to get cut into. I think Etienne, as much as people are high on him, he's still maybe going to be considered as the new kid on the block. So again, I'll take Robinson all day. Listen, the guy finished as the RB7 last year. So to just completely discount him, I think is a little foolish. I'm going to give you my take on this team. I, I kind of feel like, you know, talking about Robinson and, and Etienne together. Uh, and I'm not French, so I'm going to call him ETN, which, I, again, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I don't really care. Come see, come see. So, yeah, so I think all the numbers point at good things for Robinson. Unfortunately, the one number that kind of stares me in the face that I can't sort of shake is the number 25, which is where they took Travis ETN. Like, I, to me, I just don't see NFL teams trading up into the first round to draft a player if they don't sort of already have a plan for that guy. Now, I don't necessarily know, like you said, you know, training camp videos and, and reports say yeah. that the Jags are sort of using ETN as a hybrid, you know, wide receiver, but that kind of stuff was coming out of camp last year about Antonio Gibson from the Washington football team. And while Gibson had his fair share of targets and catches last year, they, they very rarely lined him up as a wide receiver. He 
did a good job catching the ball out of the backfield. But I think in order to get ETN the ball the way that they want him to, they're going to have to line him up in the backfield. They can't just put him out as a as a receiver. Those kind of gimmicks and things just they don't really work in the NFL. They never have. They there are guys who convert from one position to another, but once they convert, they play that position. NFL defensive backs are too good to be beaten on a regular basis by a guy who does not work on releasing off the line, hand fighting in one-on-one coverage, which running backs just don't that's not the kind of stuff that they do at camp. They focus a little bit more on ball security, on vision, finding the hole. I think it's going to be really hard unless they literally roll ETN out as a straight up wide receiver and, and convert him into a wide receiver. I just don't see how he doesn't cut into James Robinson's touches. And as good as Robinson was last year, he wasn't an outstanding efficiency type of player. He only averaged four and a half yards a carry. I say only, that's that's a good average, but Miles Sanders averaged more. So to sit here and say that James Robinson is some all-world talent, he carried the ball 240 times. He had 60 targets last year. I think if you give any decent running back that kind of workload in the NFL, they could do pretty much what Robinson did with it. Now, again, I'm not saying that ETN is going to have that workload. I think that Robinson will be worked in. You don't have a guy produce like that and then just, you know, thank you for your service and send them off. That's not the way things generally work. So I do think Robinson is going to be involved in the offense. It's just a matter of, I think his upside is capped because of ETN's presence. And I think, unfortunately, ETN's upside is capped because of Robinson's presence. So I think both of these guys are going to finish somewhere. Maybe not necessarily as low as I have them. No, but I Tebow's going to get all the touchdowns. I know. <laughs> yeah. You're saying it, Pat, and it's 100% right. That Yeah, they're definitely going to chop into each other. Like you said, he's not their guy. He's not Urban Meyer's guy. And I no. don't think that he's unfortunately going to get that workload that you would need to you know, sort of repeat what he did last year. Maybe not. I feel like he could prove himself to be better. He was the best running back on such a bad team. So we saved is, the uh, best for, I mean, the worst for last. Worst here, for uh, that. <laughs> I will let you tee off on uh, why David Johnson is the humble rumble as his uh, supposed nickname, but why you feel that he is still considered a top 30 running back. So looking back at Johnson last year, I think expectations were low for him last year. Now, obviously expectations for the Houston Texans were not as low as they are this year. So I think that will definitely factor into where Johnson sort of ends up. Last year, he finished as the running back 19, and that was only in 12 games, technically 11. He missed week nine after I think he had two carries in that game and then missed weeks 10, 11, and 12 as well. So he was a running back 25 or better. So so basically, you know, in that top, that RB1, RB2 range in every other game that he played except for one. So of those 11, not counting 9, 10, 11, and 12, he was a top 25 back every single week. So while he probably is past his prime. I just don't think that, again, this is one of those situations where who do you really have on the team that's going to do anything? I mean, Brandon Cooks is still there. You know, you've got some some up-and-coming wide receivers on that team. Obviously, you think Mark Ingram is going to make some kind of impact. I think my personal opinion is Ingram is just sort of a backup insurance plan if 
Johnson happens to go down. I don't think that the Texans brought Ingram in to sort of take over any kind of role. I think they brought him in to sort of be the backup, basically. I mean, if he sees 10 to 15% of the carries this year, I would be surprised. I, I feel like Johnson's still going to be their guy. I think that last year he showed that he still has at least enough juice to be productive. And my my ranking of of him at 26 is basically I have him there because I feel like he's still a starting running back in the NFL. And when you start getting down into the range where he's being drafted, if you're looking at ADP, David Johnson is running back 32, being drafted roughly 115. So you're looking at round nine or 10, depending on whether it's a 10 or 12 team league. I think that if you're looking in the ninth or 10th round and you're looking at a running back, I don't see a better value out there than getting a guy like David Johnson to where he could literally be. I mean, like I said, he finishes the running back 19 last year. So to draft him as the running back 32, which is his current ADP, to me, it doesn't, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to be down that far unless what you believe is that this is the year that he completely falls off. You're right. I, I, I do feel like there's still that part of everybody that hopes that David Johnson somehow finds a way to become the David Johnson of old. And again, we're going back now five years, 2016. And everybody remembers the over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 20 touchdowns, closing in on 400 total touches. He was a monster. He was the league. He was Christian so, McCaffrey of 20, what was it, 20, did you say 2016? Uh, that was 2016 when he, yeah, yeah. When he, he was, was the number one overall running back, yeah. Yeah, he, he was just that dude. And then he comes back the next year with Arizona, and he puts up decent numbers, didn't get close to where he was receiving. Still accounted for touchdown. The DeAndre Hopkins trade happened, and he played 12 games, so he missed four games last year for Houston. He averaged 4.7 a carry. He had six touchdowns. He didn't quite get to 700 yards rushing. And then catching, he was still decent percentage-wise, but he wasn't flashy. And, and again, eight touchdowns. So you, you go back and you look at what he did on a week-to-week -week basis, and you say, okay, uh, where do the other rushing yards go? This year is going to be a, looking a little bit like a dumpster fire, and that's being polite. But enter a couple different players. Mark Ingram joins the fold. Philip Lindsay from Denver, uh, who's another unsung guy, joins the fold. Rex Burkhead, who we all know from fantasy, is the goal line vulture champ, joins the fold. So you look at not one, not two, but three people that are vying for that throne. Uh, again, so you have multiple guys out there. My feeling is that David Johnson's numbers were a little inflated last year because he was really one of the only guys in town. Uh, Duke Johnson was a pass catcher out of the backfield. But when it came to running, it was David Johnson and it was Deshaun. The team bringing in multiple names, albeit not superstars, but Mark Ingram, established veteran. Philip Lindsay, uh, a guy who just seems like he's always on the wrong side of things when it comes to uh, battles on the field, but has always put up very decent numbers in fantasy, let alone in the NFL. Uh, and Rex Burkett, who's a goal line guy who uh, is always out there to score the ball. But you're cutting into his carries with established veterans. But 
if you go back and look at a lot of his statistics, he'll give you pedestrian numbers. He'll give you the numbers that will get you uh, your flex. He's that guy, but he's not an RB1. He's not an RB2. And I know where he finished last season based on a little bit of volume, but now that volume getting chopped into by that many people, uh, I feel like he's just going to fall by the wayside. The offense is scary, to say the least. Um, they are are probably going to be terrible. If somebody like Mark Ingram or Philip Lindsay does step in and take some of those carries, I feel like that's actually a good thing for Johnson. Maybe not necessarily for his overall fantasy numbers, but I feel like keeping it, say older guy, he's 30 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm way older than he is, but keeping a guy like that down, you know, roughly where he was last year, 150 carries or so. I think that's a good thing for him. I think he can stay efficient with those lower carry totals and he can still catch the ball out of the backfield. He's, he's never lost it, but he's always been a great receiver. And I mean, the guy hasn't had, other than the season that he was injured and went out after one game. He hasn't had less than 33 receptions in a single season, so he's able to do all of the things that your good running backs can do, and if Houston doesn't have to rely on him to do that all game, every game, I feel like that that could be a good thing for him. And like you said, Flex, yeah, he's, he's definitely not your RB1 guy, but again, taking him in the ninth, 10th, 11th round, you're not drafting an RB1 in that range anyway. So to get somebody who is actually flex-worthy that late in a draft, to me, I feel is a is a steal, which is why I'll probably be taking him a round or two before that. He's a top running back for, for a lot of people. Me personally, I'm not going to reach as far as some other people might. I'm just not a fan because I'm waiting for him to fall off. Now when he's getting closer to that 30 mark, Obviously, you know, we sit here and discuss all this stuff and we don't, we don't know. We have no idea how things are actually going to shake out in the regular season. But, you know, obviously we have the talk so that we can hash out and hear other opinions on guys and listening to you today. You have swayed my opinion on, on a few guys. Definitely will be adjusting my ranks a little bit moving forward. Hopefully I did the same for you with, with some of my arguments. Either way, I think that where guys are going in drafts and where we have them ranked seem to be fairly close. And I think that just goes to show that the fantasy football community as a whole is full of pretty smart people and, and they kind of are all us. sort of, yeah, <laughs> they're all sort of kind of thinking the same, the same thing. I think obviously when it comes to drafting, players it's really about what you believe and it's about how much risk you're willing to take on who's your uh before we go who's your if you had to pick one name wild card running back period just a name not not a deep dive but just a name who's your guy that you say you're a lot higher on or that if you had to reach uh you know i want him on my team i guess the only guy that i would consider would probably be Najee harris just because i feel like pittsburgh is just they're gonna hand the ball off to that guy like 250 times what about you i i want to be dead honest and it's one of two people but i'm gonna go with the i guess the closer name to where it is uh, I feel like Javante Williams is going to just crush it and take the ball away from uh, Melvin Gordon. And that's going to do it for this week for the Fantasy Football Podcast from the Nine Route. On behalf of Pat, my name is Scott. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll talk to you next week. 